I probably asked 10,000 times the questions that I provide answers for, but I've learned a lot in this life by asking those questions. I had a pistol in my mouth. I was absolutely ready to end my own life and not because I didn't think I could fix it, but because I was going to have to make some very hard apologies and I was going to have to admit that I was wrong on a lot of things. Guess what? Primitive always works. And in times of struggle, get primitive. There are so many meat eaters that are anti-hunting and it's the most asinine thing you could be is to partake in something and then to deny the people that do it at the fundamental level. I was just so selfishly driven, but now I'm selflessly driven. I'm driven so that my capabilities in some way benefit and help other people. Hey, what's up guys? It's Brandon Lilly here and today I'm on the Wild Initiative podcast. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it. Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer. I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? (laughs) There's your bathroom. (laughs) My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out. Go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and go. Because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffith. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey, guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's up, guys? This is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So hopping into today's episode, I'm sitting down with Brandon Lilly. Brandon is a power lifter, a coach. He is a super inspiring guy. He's worked with, geez, a little bit of everyone from professional athletes <laughs> to uh, SEAL team members to, I'm even looking at the website here, Norwegian SEALs. Um, yeah. Not, not to be confused with a, uh, like, you know, balancing a ball on the nose, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> now this was, um, the, the Norwegian seals. So I, I should put it this way. I, I kind of, I can't say an individual's name. So I have to put that I've worked with Norwegian seals. Now, if I was saying, if I worked with the U S Navy seals, um, I've had a little bit of contract work with them, but most of the time it's with specific individuals within those entities. Um, you know, I don't, I don't try to puff myself up too much anymore. You know, I think there was a time when I was like scratching for that credibility that maybe that wording was a little bit more, you know, <laughs> it was like, Hey, I've worked with these guys, but now it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to continue to work with these guys. So I have to be respectful and real about what it is. And, 
I do work with people within the special forces community. Um, I, I do have a great appreciation and I feel somewhat an inclination to service for our servicemen and women. Um, and I just tend to be high octane. So the special forces guys are where the information kind of led me, but yeah, I, I've worked with high level athletes. I've worked with collegiate athletes, NFL players, um, a couple of ML, MLS guys, professional soccer players, never really had the, the opportunity to work with, uh, NBA players, but I've worked with one MLB player. So, you know, it's, it's been a good journey. It's been a wide ranging journey, but I think all of that really ties into who I am because I get very bored in one direction. You know, I, I like to be multifaceted. I, I'm a very curious person. I probably ask 10,000 times the questions that I provide answers for, but I've learned a lot in this life by asking those questions and, and seeking information. And, uh, you know, it, it just led me down a really interesting, unique road. So one thing I always really like to start out with is I guess just a general, you know, we, we talked a little bit about it, but just a general introduction of kind of who you are, but also, you know, this podcast is generally geared towards or folks getting into the outdoors. So, you know, also how were you introduced to hunting and the outdoors and how did you kind of get your start in that? Well, I think the reason <clears throat> that you probably have me on your podcast initially or from a recognition standpoint as I was a powerlifter. I was I was a competitive powerlifter in multiply, which is West Side Barbell. You know, you have supportive gear on that helps you lift more. I, I squatted over a thousand pounds, I benched over eight hundred pounds, I pulled over eight hundred pounds. But then I transferred from that to raw lifting, which is just a belt and knee wraps kind of thing. So it's it's kind of like drag racing in that you know, you can have stock cars all the way up to funny cars and, and top fuel dragsters. You know, it, there's an appeal for every range there. When I started, you know, the name of the game was multiply. The gear was as much weight as you could possibly lift. And I really, I, I look back and I see this moment very, very clearly now, but I bench pressed at the Arnold um, and I bench pressed 832 pounds. And to be completely honest, that was my last heavy bench press in a bench shirt. And it was the easiest lift I've ever done. And that's when I felt personally, now I got to make some concessions here. When I was making the transition from geared powerlifting to raw, I was very much a finger pointer. I said, you know, you guys hide behind the gear. You guys stay in that gear. You won't come off and take it off raw. And let's see I mean, how strong you really are. But that was, that was me trying to puff myself up. Right. So what I realize now is that just for me, in that moment, it was like, okay, the gear has superseded my passion to perform in the gear. You know, it's like, it, it would imagine it sitting in a drag car and it automatically runs a four second quarter mile. You know, it's some crazy top fuel dragster, but you didn't drive, you didn't hit the gas, you didn't do anything, right? You were just a passenger. That's very much what I felt like on that bench press. I felt like the shirt, albeit my body was moving it. I felt the shirt was giving me so much assistance that it was the easiest lift, albeit the heaviest lift I'd ever done. So when I took the gear off, um, I kind of started this exodus from everything that I'd known and started moving towards, again, capability. Like, if I don't have this gear, how strong am I? So I ended up becoming a very strong lifter in the raw game. I was ranked number one and number two for a number of years there. Won a couple of world championships. Um, won some big competitions in Australia and around the world, you know, been to Finland, been to England, all over, and suffered a pretty traumatic injury in 2014, January 26th of 2014, uh, catastrophic rupture of both legs, both knees, 
I was under a squat in LA, uh, started to go down. I'd been nursing a groin injury for some time. The groin kind of, you know, you know, when you get a muscle cramp, how it kind of just flexes the groin flexed, my knee moved in slightly. It was, it was too much for the weight that was on my back. The quad tendon popped in the left leg, the patella tendon, ACL, MCL, meniscus, and PCL. My kneecap actually broke in half and slid up to the side of my leg. It was about six oh. inches up and left. Um, and the right leg was quad tendon, patella tendon. I ended up going to LA Medical, uh, LA County Medical Center, which for people that, that might not know or understand what that really refers to, is that is the lowest economic hospital possible. That's kind of like where your gang members are going, um, drug users, overdoses, that type of thing. And to, to paint that picture for you, in the room that I was being triaged, there were people handcuffed to rails in the hallway. Um, the, the room that I was in particular for triage, there was a guy slumped over in a chair, double handcuffed in a corner to each rail on the wall. A girl holding a, a towel to the side of her face where her boyfriend had shot her in the face, who was also handcuffed being interviewed by a police or a police officer. And I'm sitting here coming in from a powerlifting competition with my knees stretched out, you know, and uh, it was just a, it was a terrible chaotic time. Um, the care from the surgeon was actually the standout because I, I want to get this right, but there was a video a number of years back at the uh, university of Southern California. This kid was bench pressing and he took the weight up and it came down and crushed his esophagus. Well, the same surgeon that saved his life was the surgeon who did my knees and he was a trauma surgeon and he was volunteering his time at this County hospital. So he comes in and he said, you know, and he was, he was Chinese and he had very, very broken English, but he grabbed my hands and he said, hand specialist, hand specialist. He said, very, very intricate. He said, knee intricate, but not like hands. And I said, okay. So he was very, very good at what he did. He, he reconstructed me. I felt like I was on my way back. And then they told me that I wouldn't walk for 10 months. And I walked in two days um, on surgically repaired knees with a nerve block in. I was just committed to standing. So I slid off the bed, literally like slinked off the bed and <laughs> held onto a chair and pushed myself up and stood there. And I said, okay, this is, this is game on. I'm going to be okay. And they come in, of course, and they think I'm crazy. And they're like trying to push me back in the bed. They sedated me so that I wouldn't, you know, resist. And um, it was, that sounds worse than it was, but like, I just wanted to get out of there. Like I was freaking out. My entire identity was wrapped up in the fact that I had left my family. I had lost my job. I had done all these things to pursue this end. And here I was with broken knees and nothing to show for it. You know what I mean? I had the world championship, but it was like, Life was not about yesterday. Life was about the next five pounds or the next championship or whatever. And when you become this persona, well, I won't say when you do, but when I do, <laughs> when I became this persona, um, it was very easy for me because I've, I've kind of unveiled this a little bit. I didn't love powerlifting. I loved lifting weights. I loved training. Um, I didn't love powerlifting, but I was very good at it. And more than that, I felt respected and I felt liked for the first time in my life. I was always kind of an outsider. Um, I was a good athlete, but I was also in the books. I was also in the chess club, you know, so I kind of had these interweaving circles of friend groups, but none of them intermixed. So I was kind of like the nucleus, but I was still the last call on everybody's Friday night. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't full in on any of those friend groups. So powerlifting gave me that vehicle where it was like, 
oh, I want to hear him speak or, oh, I want to have him at our gym or, oh, I want to compete beside this guy or I want him to be my coach. So it was just this constant dopamine hit of like, I'm the biggest, I'm the strongest, I'm the baddest. And when I, when I hurt my knees, I spent the next four years and 18 surgeries. Um, I would compete. I would get sick because my leg couldn't handle it. So I would get tons of inflammation that would be, that would turn to infection. I would have a setback. I would have another surgery, build myself back up, get another surgery, build myself back up. And finally, um, actually we're just past the anniversary of this, but on four twelve of 16, uh, I had a pistol in my mouth. I was, I was absolutely ready to end my own life and not because I didn't think I could fix it, but because in the process of having to fix it, I was going to have to make some very hard apologies and I was going to have to admit that I was wrong on a lot of things and face people that I'd hurt, you know, and that, and I think for a, a, a man in general, those three things can be difficult. And I think for a man who is broken in, in heart and spirit, it was near an impossibility. But for whatever reason, I don't think that I had the, I don't think I had the stomach for suicide. I thought it was more like I'm ending other people's problems by removing myself from the equation. And then like all of a sudden in the midst of everything, it was like, Brandon, if you've, if you've made a thousand mistakes to get in this hole, make a thousand one good ones and get out, you know? So I started working my way forward. I started making phone calls. I actually called my dad who I was kind of at odds with somewhat estranged from. He came and saw me, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I'm mixing the story up a little bit here. I, I went ahead and I'm coming back. But when I got home from LA, my dad was one of the first apologies I made and he came in the, the apartment. He didn't even know where I lived at the time. He came in my apartment at the time and saw me sitting there in a wheelchair with my legs straight out, you know, and he, he got emotional and he said, I want to tell you two things. He said, first and foremost, I'm sorry. Like whatever put this distance between us, whatever made this reality, I'm sorry. Like I should have done better. And then two, I want to tell you that I love you and I'm proud of you. I should have told you that every day. And up until this point, my dad was a provider. He was someone that put the roof over our head, put food on the table, loved us, but didn't tell us, you know what I mean? And uh, it, it was a big turning point because it was like, man, if he can change, maybe I can too. But I rode that roller coaster. I tried, I failed, I tried, I failed. Apologies that I, that I gave were not reciprocated, you know, like they didn't receive it well, or they told me to fuck off or whatever it was and fair game. Because just because I'm sorry doesn't make me forgivable, you know, and what mm -hmm. I can tell people out there too, time does heal a lot of wounds. People that I apologized to initially that were like, dude, you're fucked. Get out of my life. Get out of my face. Um, have come back in, the, in recent years or we bumped into each other and it's allowed for a secondary conversation. So long story short, um, I was a power lifter. That's kind of why I'm here. That's kind of why my, my story has appealed to a lot of people because of the rise and the fall and the rise and the fall kind of thing. But I really submerged myself back into hunting as a way to stay active, to give myself focus, to give myself direction. And I wanted to do it differently. You know, we talked a little bit before we started here. You, you mentioned the quote in my, you know, in my Instagram bio and it's if whining and crying were part of the solution, the world would be a perfect place. And I had become the person who, when I went places, um, I expected the luxury, you know, like I didn't want your six ounce steak. I wanted your 20 ounce steak. I didn't want that truck. I wanted a new truck. I didn't want that house. I want the one on the corner on the golf course. You know, I became privileged and I became trained 
to think that I deserve something. So when I got hurt, that veil of assumption was removed because I thought I was going to retire four or five years from now. You know, the, the skies would part, the angels would sing, and I would go down as one of the greatest powerlifters of all time. But no, that's not how life worked out for me. Um, I still get a tremendous amount of love from a lot of people in the community. And it's, it's been cool to kind of get that distance from a sport where I was a polarizing figure because now I can see it for what it is rather than for what it was when I was in the midst of it. So anyway, um, I had started hunting when I was younger. Um, and really it was, it was not a good demonstration of what hunting is. It's kind of the, the podunk drive around with a rifle in your lap. And if you see something, pull the trigger, you know, um, beers and, and, and not proud of it. Yeah. You know, and, and not that, not that I want to point the finger and damn anyone that was raised that way or still continues to do that. It's just not my cup of tea. I think there's a, there's maybe a more ethical approach. I'll say, I won't say it's right or wrong, but I think there's, there's some sport to it. You know, if you want to get in the tree sand and wait, or if you want to get out there and spot and stalk, that at least adds an element to it rather than just driving around and having a long range, high power rifle. It, it just, for me, I wanted to distance myself from that and wash my hands of it. So when I got back into it, I started compound bow hunting, um, hunted some deers, been on a mule deer hunt, was unsuccessful, killed two turkeys. So this has been like a three, four year process to resubmerge myself back into this lifestyle. As I mentioned to you as well, um, to enhance this experience, I made a knife with Neil Kamamura. So it was a, you know, kind of a field to table knife so that I could, you know, dress an animal in the field, come home, break that animal down, and then also prepare that animal for my friends and family with the same knife. And one more spectrum of that is to go to my friend after this is all said and done, quarantine lifts, we're going to make a traditional bow. He's going to teach me how to do that. We're going to use sinew as string. Um, we're going to do this as, as old school as we can so that kill, kill the animal with something I made, clean the animal with something I made, and then prepare the animal with something I made. And to me, for me, that is, that is not necessarily enlightenment, but it is a bliss to know that this is a full spectrum, full submersion approach to how I, how I choose to live my life now. I don't want to pay someone to do my job if I can do it myself. You know, I want to learn these crafts. I want to learn these trades. I stopped cooking on the Traeger, no offense to Traeger. But during this time, I've done just about, if the weather permits at all, I've been doing open fire pit cooking. You know, just to show my son a different way, just to show him the primitive way, because guess what? Primitive always works. In times of struggle, get primitive. So that's where I'm at, man. And I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, sorry for that big, long ramble session, but I feel like I wanted to catch your people up to speed as I could. (laughs) It's all good. That's why I got you on, man. You know, and it's funny, you talk about that and something you said kind of towards the very beginning when you were talking about the powerlifting and your transition from from using all that gear into raw raw lifting. And Mm -hmm. it's it's it comes full circle around with what you just said, where you said uh, you wanted to see if I don't have this gear, how strong am I? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that ties in so well to what you're, what you're doing now with like, with the, the primitive and wanting to be able to, and, Mm -hmm. and like we were talking, it's like, there's nothing wrong with these luxuries and having the toys and having the gear and using it. Uh, Like you said, having a smartphone's friggin' awesome. Like having this, having a computer and, and a microphone, we would not be having this conversation yeah. if it wasn't for all of this. 
but being able to exist and function and move forward without without there being any sort of stuttering mm-hmm. when if all of this stuff is removed is critical having that ability is absolutely critical well for me i, I feel i won't say i feel guilty i I've, I've said that on a podcast recently that i felt guilty for having confidence in this time you know like having mm-hmm not necessarily being able to point to, yeah, my, my travel has slowed down, things like that. But like, you know, and I'm not even talking about financial systems or banking systems. I'm talking about there's meat in my freezer, there are vegetables in the garden, you know, that kind of thing to where my life hasn't, as you said, stutter step very much. It's actually been able to allow me to sharpen my skills, sharpen my tools so that through this time, if something like this ever happens again, which I do believe will happen. I mean, whether it be from some kind of exogenous threat like a virus or terrorism or something like that, or simply the fact that in five to 10 years, we're going to have 10 billion people on this planet. In 20 years, we're, we're likely to have 12 to 15 billion people on this planet. Scarcity is going to be a real situation that human, human beings have to face. Overcrowding, overpopulation is going to be something that we have to deal with. Now, you can go out and you can start killing people. Or you can start taking care of yourself and learning different ways. And that's what I'm choosing to do. Um, I went I went to one of the stores before they actually closed a lot of them down. Of course, meat was gone. A lot of the stuff was out. And it's like, I felt no panic from that. Not necessarily because, you know, there's always something around. I saw two deer today. You know what I mean? So it's like, if shit gets weird, not to say that I... I would encourage poaching at, at any expense, but if I'm going to die, I'm going to eat, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and I have that capability. I should say that I would never encourage poaching, but I have the capability. If my life was, was in the crux, I would absolutely have the capability to find an animal and, and do something about that. So at least having that sense of satisfaction and that sense of capability was very calming through this time. You know, a lot of people out there just really, they don't know what to do without their cell phone. They don't know what to do if the Wi-Fi goes down. They don't know what to do if their bank card gets stolen. They don't know what to do. Like, this is a time to look at those things and understand those feelings. And instead of just being like, well, glad the lights are back on, figure out how to start a fire, figure out how to burn an oil lamp. You know, all of these little things can add value to you as a person. And I think being a valuable person makes you a valuable member of a society. And if you're not a valuable contributing individual, you're just a taker. And I got nothing, nothing, nothing for takers anymore. I've been one my whole life. For 32 years, I was a taker. I was a throat stomper. And that if you got in my way, I'd stomp your throat. If you tried to hold me back, I'd cut your arms off. You know, like I was just so selfishly driven, but now I'm selflessly driven. I'm driven so that my capabilities might in some way benefit and help other people at some point. And right now, it seems that my my voice on Instagram is giving some people some insight onto how I changed my life, you know, and that's what I'm proud of. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You know, it's it's in a time like this, effectively, you've got two choices. 
you know, people like to make it sound like it's a very complex issue. And and to some extent, I will agree there are complexities to it, but sure. It really I think comes down to to two choices. When faced with something like this, you can either take the time like we discussed earlier and mm-hmm. confront these challenges and find a way to overcome them and and better yourself. And you may not overcome the challenges. They sure. you know, it just may be something you're not able to handle yourself. Yeah. But you can find a way to confront them and deal with them and better yourself and consistently be improving mm-hmm. or you can bitch and whine and <laughs> shut down and play of be the victim and because your club is closed because you can't go to the gym so how am i ever going to work out if i don't have my rowing machine oh for the love of all that's good sure you know it's, pick up rocks split rocks and carry water you know that's yep. that's one of the things my dad always told me he was like you know it, it never happened but obviously he was just using it as a you know kind of as a, a threat for punishment he was like if you don't stop i'm gonna find some big rocks and have you make gravel you know what i mean it's <laughs> like that's that's hard ass work you know mm-hmm. you get a pickaxe and a big rock and have to make gravel that's gonna take some time but you know i think that this is a really good time to look at yourself and say, could I have hacked it a hundred years ago? Could I have hacked it, you know, 200 years ago? I know people that were complaining about, you know, not, not having hot water to be able to take a shower. Well, what'd they do before that, before hot water was a thing, you know, there are places in the world that don't have hot water today, you know, or running hot water. Anyway, I just think that if you're going to be the best at something, and I, I do consider, United States uh, as a flagship example of what greatness can be. Um, We have a lot of problems. Every country has their problems, but I think once you get to a level like the United States has gotten to, you best not forget where you've been because history repeats itself. And one of the things that I am starting to see a growing trend and growing voice in is people are pissed off. They feel like the information is skewed. They feel like numbers are lied to. Um, and listen, we had a Boston tea party, you know what I mean? It's like, we have rebelled from England. We, we created this. We are a nation, hopefully of punk rockers. You know what I mean? People who are defiant at the, at, at their birthright. Isn't, so for is me, it today, I think we're, we may be recording this on the anniversary of the Boston tea party. I think we are. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I think it's right now, as of so, the date we're recording this, it's April 15th. And I'm pretty sure it's like t- yesterday or today. So I think it's funny you bring that yeah, up. It's, it's definitely tax days. <laughs> but, you know, it's but I think I think every, you know, just like I, I, I want to put it this way. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you more beautifully. I have a friend who is a Native American and he told me he said, yes, I love this country. I love what it stands for. Yes, there's a terrible history, but that's not going to stop the air that I breathe today from entering my lungs. He said, I can cry and I can complain about the past, or I can celebrate my people's past. I can understand the wrongs that were done. But if a white man stands in front of me and does me no wrong, I hold no ill. You know what I mean? So this place is great, even for people who have been oppressed. Um, and again, that's, that's probably going to be a soundbite that people attack. But the true, the true story is, even at the worst level of oppression in this country, it is still vastly better 
than a majority of the places around the world. And I, I don't say that lightly. I, I've talked to people, like I said, in South Africa, I've talked to people in Japan. I've talked to people in Germany. I've talked to people in Finland and these people are at much more advanced stages of lockdown than we are. And they have much more advanced levels of poverty than we will ever see in the United States. I mean, we see some pretty sad situations here in Kentucky, but wealth like our understanding and expectation of wealth in this country is so far skewed upward that we need to remember what it feels like with nothing. And I think we've done a poor job at balancing that, you know, it's all been too good. I don't know. It's easy to, you know, it's, it's easy to fall into the, the woe is me. Life is so hard. Like I do it Mm -hmm. all the time. I, you know, and I'm, I am so critical. Like I'm I'll admit, like I'm a bit of a loud mouth at times about this stuff. You know, we were talking earlier <laughs> about, I, I posted up a video basically, you know, y'all are a bunch of being a bunch of whiners and I'm sick of it. Mm-hmm. Quit it. And, yeah. but here's the thing. It's like, I don't say that from a perspective of like, Oh yeah, I got it all figured out. I'm, I'm an expert. And da, 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 da. I say that because I feel like I'm allowed to say that because I will say a lot worse to myself. I will sure. be 10 times more critical of myself when I start whining like that. The difference is, you know, I, I then turn it around and I find a way to correct it. You know, we all fall into that. Do you, do you use your Instagram kind of as an accountability for yourself? Cause I do. I mean, when, when my posts are super motivational, I can tell you without fail, that's when I'm struggling. You know, when they're like trains rolling hot, like the train is rolling. Like, I better get the fuck on it. You know what I mean? Cause the train's going life, life is passed to me by, but you know, typically when I say things or I speak on a topic on Instagram, one, it's because I'm pondering it Two, probably because the situation in real life has made me look at myself through that situation and realize that, okay, you got to get better. So mm-hmm. then I'll type a post talking about the things you need to do to get better because it's like, all right, dude, if you're putting this out there for people to consume and people to believe in and hopefully that people apply, don't be the red herring. Be the guy that does it. Be the guy that lives it, breathes it. And I am certainly trying to be, despite what this podcast will indicate, I'm trying to be a person (laughs) that talks less about it and does more about it, you know. But um, I, I will say that I'm very, very excited for a lot of things through this time. I've got four to five small groups right now, just two to three men each. Not necessarily like it's, it's definitely just on the level. Like there's no membership. It's not coaching. It's not anything. It's just three to four groups of friends where we are accountability to each other. You know, I've got one that's about like personal writing. The other one is about reading. The other one is about training. The other one is about family. The other one is about the outdoors. So I'm getting all this fulfillment from these groups and I've never done that before. I've never really been one to reach out, but I am guiding that as in like, I'm the one that's, Hey, let's get on the phone today or let's get on this message later today or this, that, and the other and driving it because I need it. I need it right now. Um, my world is usually a hundred miles an hour and I'm being forced to just watch the grass grow, which again is a beautiful thing, but it's also uncomfortable relative to how I've lived before. So, you know, to give me that feel of that on the go feeling, I'll have two or three of these like calls or text groups every day that I'm just kind of tending to and and going through, it gives me something to look forward to. It gives me something to balance out my ideas because, you know, there's so much misinformation and, and so little true information, you know, rather than taking the Instagram and making a video and just losing my head, 
I can lose my head to people that I trust and get like kind of get talked off the ledge a little bit, you know? So it's, it's good. I think men need that. I think humans need that. And definitely right now I need it. So I, I can see exactly what you're saying. You know, it's, I'm my harshest critic for sure. For sure. Nothing I say to you or anyone else will ever be as harsh as the shit I say to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it, especially in these times, it's good having, you know, those, those groups of people that, you know, you can, you, like you said, you can look forward to, to talking to them. You know, I have a, uh, I'm here on the, the West coast. And so, you know, it's a lot earlier for me than some of the other guys that are, that are back East, but sure. I, every Saturday morning I have, I have a 4:30 AM call with like 14 other guys and we sit and talk for an hour in, uh, tonight I've got a, I've got a call and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be doing, uh, a lot of the times these are kind of impromptu calls and we'll just, you know, mm-hmm. I'll throw up a zoom link or something and I'll just be like, Hey guys, I'm going to leave my zoom open. Anyone that wants to hop on, you can, you can hop on. We'll have a chat and, you know, three or four different guys will, that I know will hop on and we'll have a great conversation. And tonight it's actually, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. We're doing, um, we're going to, we're all going to hang out. And uh, one of the guys is going to lead uh, some box breathing. A, okay, lot of the, cool. a lot of the guys yeah. have never done this, con- the controlled breathing stuff. And then we're going to do uh, uh, like a highly recommended. If somebody's on oh, the yeah. fence, highly recommended. I highly recommend it. I've started learning about it uh, a little bit more, just mm-hmm. different controlled breathing methods and stuff. And um, it's just, it's incredible. Like, and, and it's, I've it's deep yet. water stuff too, man. It's, it's, it's so, here's the thing that I tell people about it. I won't say that deep breathing and purposeful breathing causes anything. I, I won't argue with anybody on that. Like I, I believe it does, but I won't try to convince you. But what I will tell people is, I started eating better, sleeping better, feeling better, moving better, recovering faster all around the same time that I started breathing better. So I won't say it's causation, but I will say there's definite correlation. Mm -hmm. And I can sit here literally before we got on the call, you know, I was doing some stuff at the house and like I said, the Wi-Fi went down. So I was kind of scrambled before we got on the call. Um, probably why I'm talking 600 miles an hour <laughs> is that I did like, I did like five minutes of just controlled nasal, nasal breathing on my way over here. And what that allowed me to do was I was feeling kind of sluggish. I was feeling a little bit tired. I feel awesome now. I feel energized and ready to go. And I'll tell you one thing with, uh, with the breathing, the breath work, Dr. Belissa Vranich, um, uh, is, is a doc, is a, she's a breath doctor, a breath specialist that I've worked with. And one of the things that she said, how long would you go? How long can you go without water without dying? Uh, I, a week, I, you know, at maximum a week. Probably. Yeah. Something like that. I'd imagine. Like, how long could you go without food? You know, without any food whatsoever, two, three weeks, maybe a month. If you could really, like you're really fat, you could just live yeah, on those stores. before you're fully dead. And yeah. How long can you go without breathing? Yeah. Mm, so why don't we put, maybe a minute and a half? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, if, they, if it is that critical, if we get 90 seconds for the average person to hold their breath before they have to take that big, deep inhale, why would we not consider that as the most valuable resource we have? You know, if, if you understand that diet can change your body, if you understand that hydration can improve your performance, and those two things, you can go without a month without one, and you can go a week without one, why would you not think that breath can change your performance? You know, it's like mm-hmm. when you give it to people like that, I think that's the best sales point for it. 
Well, and it's even just simple. Like, you know, I've, I've really changed up my, my fitness routine this year, uh, especially over the past month. Um, and to a more, I was always really scattered with it and, and super just all over the place, super sparse with it. I had no structure. I just kind of, I'd work what I wanted to when I wanted to, and I'd go on a lot of hikes and it was just, it was all over the place. And so I've really focused lately on building a structure to make sure I'm hitting all these touch points that I want to, but then incorporating functional movements. And the big thing has been the adding yoga and stretching. Like this (laughs) is my labeling, man, (laughs) dude, I am like, my world has been changed with the stretching one. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not nearly the level of sore after my workouts that I am. Like I can go significantly harder every single day. Uh, and, um, like my flexibility is increasing and my likelihood of when I'm in the field, when I'm, when I'm lifting a pack, when I'm doing all this stuff, when I'm hauling ass downhill to go chase after, you know, an elk that I heard bugling, you know, the next ridge over, I'm a lot less likely to, to jack up my leg or, or pull a muscle because my hip flexor is all, is all locked up or something. And, uh, just getting into that with that yoga, the huge thing, yoga and stretching is breathing. Yeah. And even as simple as that, like just that controlled breathing in and out with your movements, all of a sudden you get those extra three inches deeper into a stretch or a pose or whatever that is. It's been, it's just, it's blown my mind lately. Yeah. I think, you know, yoga is one of those things that I I try to be really careful with because I don't want it to become, it's already trendy. Let's be honest. It's a, it's a fashionable, sexy thing to talk about doing, but I, I really don't want people to fall into the pitfalls of doing something because it's cool and rather than doing something because of the benefit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I did that. I 100% was like, I'm going to do yoga because that's what everybody's doing. I saw somebody doing it and it made me want to do it. So I did that. But then I, I kind of went in and out of it. I wasn't too excited by it. And then I met my friend Ivy. She runs Ivy League Strength. And she approached me with a proposition of, you know, come here. I know you're a lifter. I know you're trying to get back to, to barbell prowess. So just come here and let me work on some functional movement patterns with you. Let me help you start to loosen up and holy shit the the light bulb went off and everything like I left her first session first of all soaking wet <laughs> completely depleted from my own body weight but my knees did not hurt and she had me in positions that if if I had done them the day before my knee would have killed me for three or four days mm-hmm. and after that session I went home you know not really recognized like I felt good but not like man, I'm going to go run because I feel so good. I just went on a nice walk and I was like, I want to run. I want to actually see if I can run. So I started to jog a little bit. And this is literally an impossibility the day before that I could run. My knee, Kate, I, because of my injury, my left leg, um, the knee is, is somewhat slightly bent um, all the time. So I had to have an insert put in my heel so that I could actually strike the ground evenly. Um, it's about a quarter of an inch to a half an inch. I don't know the exact millimeters, but nevertheless, um, running was very painful because of that shift. So I thought, what if I can run uh, a mile on my toes, just stay on my toes and just run. Don't, don't make that heel stretch painful. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I take off jogging and I'm like a mile away and I'm, I, I did it. And I was like, yes. So I turned around. I'm like, fuck, I'm a mile <laughs> from my truck. So it ended up being my first day running ended up being two miles after an intense yoga session. And then the next day I went five miles and the next day I went seven. And then after that, I went, I, I intended to do a half marathon and you know, me being an idiot, I get like a mile into it and I'm like, who starts something with half in the title? So I get to mile 18 and I'm sitting, I'm sitting there dying, literally like, there's no way I'm going to get back. So props to my coach, Bunky. Um, He was my middle school basketball coach and high school soccer coach, but he's a women's basketball coach out at Sac State. And it was about eight o'clock in the morning, East coast, five o'clock in the morning, West coast. And I was struggling. I didn't, and he had texted me and I was like, I'm dying. I'm just hitting the wall. He didn't know what I was doing. So he calls me. He said, what's going on, man? He thought I was, you know, cause after I, you know, I told yeah. you I had a like, gun in my mouth at one point. So he's like worried about me. Yeah. And I was like, coach, I'm eight miles from finishing this thing. I'm eight miles from my truck and I'm about <laughs> to Uber, you know, he was like, well, you can call it. You went further than you thought you would. You're starting to half. I was like, yeah, but I'm at 18. I can't quit now. So anyway, he's through, I hear the shoes hit the floor. He gets on the phone and we talk the whole time while I finish. You know, like that to me, um, there's a lesson in that too, but I would never be able to have exposed myself to the running and the conditioning and really even changed my life had it not been for that first session with, with Ivy. So like anything, don't look at yoga as this big uniform project. You know, it's not like your yoga instructor is the same as Ivy. You know, Ivy understood what I needed. There, uh, mm-hmm. there are yogis out there that will work with what you need relative to, oh, I'm just joining a class and I'm doing what everybody else is doing. So if you're, if you're tentative about it, reach out to you, reach out to me, whoever it may be, because I can certainly give you my story on it. And it's been nothing but positive when I work with the right people. I've gone to some of these classes and things like that. And it, it just dips into a well that I'm not interested in. Oh yeah. Well, and that's the, and that's the thing when I, when I do, you know, I take they're effectively online uh, classes through, through Peloton. Sure. And, uh, yep. but I'm very intentional about which classes I pick yep. because, uh, you know, I'm either doing some, doing the, the same classes on the same days that week after week, or I, or I'm looking for something specific in a class to where it's attacking what I'm working that day. Cause I'm, Every day I'm pairing, I'm pairing some cardio and cycling. Uh, and that's also, there's also uh, strength training involved in that. Mm. I'm pairing uh, yoga, I'm pairing stretching, I'm pairing strength training, I'm pairing breathing and meditation in there. Mm. And it's all designed for whatever I'm working that day. So, you know, if I'm, say it's a, say it's a chest and back day, you know, the yoga I'm doing, it's going to be focused on chest opening and uh, twists and things that are going to loosen up those muscles in my back and all of that stuff. And so, yeah. uh, and everyone, everyone here has seen my pictures is like, that guy's never worked chest in his life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, I think the key to all of this, especially if you're, if, like me, you know, the uh, 90% of the reason you're working out is to become more capable in the field is, is you have to be very, very intentional about what you're doing. And I think, yes, 
I mean, you know, not to get too philosophical about it, but I mean, I think especially nowadays, you just have to be like that with everything because we're so limited in what we have access to in our time. There's so many, so much added stress on us in these days. You have to be very intentional about your days, what you're taking on. We're again, what we were talking about earlier. Sure. You know, you're, you're saying you're like, I'm scheduling too many podcasts and too much stuff during the day. Yeah. And it, and you're not able to be intentional about stuff because you know yeah. what your day is going to be like. Yeah. I think that yoga, especially when I do it in the mornings, it just kind of sets the tone for my day. Um, you know, it's, it's a very much slowed down thing. It's, it's not explosive. It's not, it's graceful instead of powerful. You know what I mean? It's, it's a graceful power. And, um, it really does just awaken the body. It gets the blood flowing. It gets the muscles limber. It gets yourself just kind of in this state of like, all right, I can, I can take on the day. I can do whatever needs to be done. But it also, like you said, through that breath work, there's a huge calming effect. So when I come out of that, it's like, I go upstairs, I I write some notes down. I try to write for like, I, I try to, describe how my training was to myself, like rather than just the reps and sets, like how did it feel? Mm-hmm. What did I enjoy? What didn't I enjoy? Because then I can compare that to the previous days and be like, Oh, this was just too much of one, one muscle group, or it was too much of this. Um, so I use that time to just kind of chill. And then I segue immediately out of that writing into, okay, what do I have to get done today? What do I hope to get done today? What needs to be done if I can get to it? You know, I kind of structure my day like that. And it gives me balance. It gives me uh, a vision of what I'm doing because as I told you before, one of my greatest strengths is also my greatest weakness. I am so highly adaptable um, from years and years and years of traveling 200 days a year, um, you know, canceled flights and rebooked flights and the Uber's late or this, that, and the other. So I've learned to kind of adapt on the go. And for that reason, I would have high points, but none of the other stuff. Like I got to do this today. And I got to do that today. If I do that, I'm fine. Well, what if I get that done in two hours? What about the other 22? So I'm trying to like look forward into to the rest of my week, the things that I need to get accomplished, emails that I might be able to send. If I don't have anything like that, it's who haven't I talked to in a while? Who have I seen on Instagram that looks like they're struggling that I can reach out to? Just try to find ways to be productive and, and a considerate human of others. Um, but as you said, you know, I kind of want to bring this back to the, to the field because that is what your podcast is about. And I feel like I'm all over the place, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I'll tell you this, you know, I think there was a part of me. I, I don't, again, I don't think that yoga is the causation. I think there's a correlation, but used to, when I was in the field, it had to be big and it had to be now, right? Like I wanted to kill the biggest buck and I wanted to kill it now, like no matter what day one, well, let's go. Um, but now, not that I'm getting so selective that I will pass, but it's like, I don't necessarily look at an animal for its size. I look at it for characteristics about it and it forces me to slow down and observe. So one of the things that I think I was missing from the experience of hunting is actually that observation standpoint where it's like for a moment, for this day, I'm a part of this world right here. I'm a part of this. So don't rush it. Don't, don't take the animal right now. Like watch it, make sure that's the one you want. And I'll give you a perfect example the buck that I got last year in Kentucky, um, I'd seen him the night before 
I had seen him with a group of other bucks and it was one of those deals. It was right as the sun was going down. I probably had a shot, but there were a couple of does around, you know, it was just one of those situations where it went from no deer to a bunch of deer really quickly. So it was kind of chaotic. And in the midst of all that, I was able to watch and observe the buck that I ended up killing the next day. He, he was 11 points, but he was definitely not the tallest, definitely not the widest. But when he came strutting through, he was the cock of the walk. You know, the other bucks just kind of skirted off and moved away. And had I, had I not observed that, I would have taken two of the other bucks above this one. Mm-hmm. But the next day he comes back around, and here it is again. You know, as night comes down, they're crossing this path to go over to a feeding field, um, natural feeding field. They're crossing this path, and um, I see that buck again, and he's coming. It's kind of like an L. So the other bucks are crossing this way from right to left, and he's coming the opposite direction head on. Well, when those other bucks see him, they stop and he just charges towards them. And it's like, <laughs> game on, guys. You know, so he had this swagger about him. He was mature, he was older, and uh, he just had a really unique rack about him. Uh, I'll send you a picture of it. But, uh-huh. you know, the thing is, I had more pride because I hesitated, because I slowed down, because I was able to sit there and observe and really choose why I wanted this deer, not just because of the meat, the meat was given. I mean, I had seven does that I could take, right? If I was really there just specifically for the meat, it's there. I could take that. So I'm trying to get my buck. And if I wanted size, that was there, but now I've got a story. Now I've got some relationship with this deer. I understand that he was brash. I understand that he was brazen and that he had probably reproduced more than any of the other bucks around there. You know, he, <laughs> it was his time. And I felt like I had a relationship with this buck. So when I took his life, it wasn't this. I mean, it's always a good feeling to know that your skill set trumps nature, right? Like to know that you can outsmart nature in that way. But it was, it was a setback for me as far as I didn't know how to feel because it was that personal relationship. But I was so grateful for it after the fact. When I, when I first cooked one of the back straps, I was just, I was openly weeping about it. You know, I, there's more to this. There's more to this endeavor. And I feel like it kind of, it brings up a, a quote that I read the other day. A lot of people get their black belt in martial arts and stop for the true martial artists. When they get their black belt, the journey begins, you know, and that's kind of what this was for me is like, there's a whole different scope to hunting that I just opened the door on and I'm just now getting my feet wet. So I feel like I said, you know, restricting myself to a bow, you know, that's, that's one, like, doesn't make me better than anyone. It's just a choice, you know, and then furthering myself to a compound bow or maybe an Adelaide or, you know, to go pig hunting and, and to, to spear one or to, you know, those kind of things excite me because those are the way that they were done for hundreds and maybe thousands of years. So I'm just trying to access myself as a human on a scale of, am I worth a shit? Mm-hmm. Am I really able to back this up? And do I have cause for it? You know, I, I don't, personally take any interest in going out and killing the biggest elk just because it's standing 10 yards away. Like, yeah, I'm sure I would probably get the heebie-jeebies and pull the trigger or or let the arrow fly. (laughs) But my incentive or my initiative in going out into the woods is not necessarily to get the biggest buck I find. It's to find a buck Mm -hmm. that resonates with me. Your your initiative for going out into the woods, would you say like your wild initiative? (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, I would say my wild initiative to get out in the woods. No, that was, but that was that was really bad. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, but I, it is a wild initiative. You know, it is like 
I look at myself and I, you know, for people that can, I don't know if you're going to show the video or not, but I'm 245 pounds now. I'm still one of the biggest guys in any room that I walk into, but I was 350 <laughs> pounds at my biggest when I was lifting, you know, I was 350 pounds incapable of doing the things that I do now. That's why I chose to rifle hunt because I was too afraid of the work it meant to bow hunt. And again, not judging anyone else. These are, these are problems that I addressed within myself. I was lazy, you know, and it was easy. Like if you can't kill a whitetail deer with a rifle, I, I mean, I just don't know what, what to tell you. You know, it's like, that's, that's literally, and I was also judgmental too about the, the Western hunter. Oh, I took this mule deer at 600 yards and I'm thinking, okay, this guy is just out here taking it easy. Bullshit. 600 <laughs> yards on a mule deer or an, or an elk in Western, in Western United States is much different than 450 yards on a whitetail and a tree stand in an open field. You know what I mean? Say, unless you're super, super lucky and you just happen in that right spot, you're still to get, you know, to yeah. get that 600 yard shot, you still hiked, you know, up the ridge across and, yeah. you know, you're in some gnarly terrain and you're looking across and then, okay, yeah, you shot it from 600 yards away. Now what you going to do about it? <laughs> you got to go get it. And that six, that 600 yard shot could be five miles. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like, but you know, I will tell you this. Um, I was really humbled when I went out West, uh, went mule deer hunting out at big Chino. I'm actually, I drew an elk tag in Arizona too. So I'm going back out there this fall. Hopefully if I'll go if this damn thing lives or not, yeah. probably. Well, I'll but, be, uh, um, I'll be down there myself. I drew this year in Arizona as well. Oh, hell yeah, man. What, what unit? Uh, unit eight. Okay. Unit cool, eight, cool. Uh, early, early archery elk. Okay. So Mine was 3101 and 3102, which was the code for rifle hunt, but we're going to archery hunt it until the last day. So nice. again, like, you know, it's just, it's an insurance policy. That's what my rifle is, is an insurance policy. And, you know, I'm not going out there for the antlers. I'm going out there for the meat. Um, you know, as I said, like, that's important to me, especially in light of this, like I had, I had three doe tags that I did not access in Kentucky last year. Hell with that. Like, you know, it's not because I have any, have any issue with, with killing a doe. I think that's responsible, uh, conservative hunting. You know, if you want to really be a conservationist, if you're not killing does, then what are you doing? You're just hanging trophies on the wall, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and again, that's my belief on it. Don't judge anybody otherwise. But I think if you really want to talk full spectrum conservation, you got to be willing to kill the does as quickly as you would the bucks. And I think we have a role as hunters. I think we have a role as, as humans to do our part to keep this down. And, you know, it's, it's really sad to me. Kentucky's one of the, the most vehicular, um, you know, deer deaths in the country. I mean, you, you can just drive up I-75 and see them left and right, left and right. And I would sure rather see somebody, I don't care if you fucking hate hunting, if you hate meat, I would sure rather see a hunter cultivate that animal in a tree stand or in the woods, bring that home and feed his family rather than let the vultures get it on the side of the road. So you know, animals die. We're going to die. There's, there's a play, time and place for all of it. When I die, I'm going to feed worms and those worms are going to feed birds and those birds are going to feed coyotes and those coyotes are going to feed, you know, it's life is a cycle. And the sooner we get off this high horse of I'm above anything else, I'm not, I don't kill that animal because I'm above it. I kill that animal because I want to know where my meat came from. I want to have blood on my hands and I don't want to outsource my killing. I don't want to show my son, Hey, Meat comes from a, a package in a, in a refrigerator at the store. This is where meat comes from. Like there's so many meat eaters that are anti-hunting and it's the most asinine backwards, 
idiotic, lazy thing you could be is to partake in something and then to deny the people that, that do it at the fundamental level, you know? Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. And I don't, you know, I don't fault anyone that doesn't want to hunt that, you know, it, no, I don't either. I mean, it's all, it's all personal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing. It's like, but just to be clear, you know, we're, we don't fault anyone that doesn't want to hunt, no. you know, if they want to go out and get their, you know, buy their steak from the store with the little diaper in the bottom that, that soaks up all the blood, <laughs> it removes any, the tampa, you know, the pad, the yeah, pad, the pad, the, uh, oh, the, uh, the uh <laughs> tri-tip period pad what do they call maxi um, pad yeah there you oh, go the there you go. Pad. yeah yeah the maxi pad um <laughs> yeah, moving past that you know i don't fault anyone for for wanting to do that like that's your prerogative good on you right but the second you say what i wanted that going out and harvesting the animal myself in an ethical manner is wrong oh we're gonna have we're we're damn sure gonna have a problem then like listen i worked i worked in a slaughterhouse um i got to see cattle processing plant you know and unfortunately this was an amish style small operation so i would say there was a lot of ethics to it you know Mm -hmm. um and it was still it was still different you know it it was nothing like i've ever seen in the wild the animals as good as you try to take care of them they're still on top of each other they're still inside a pen they struggle to die sometimes. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. it happens. And that happens in the wild too. I mean, they're, they're misplaced shots and whatever, but go to nature is metal. Watch the video where the hyenas are ripping the wildebeest guts out while he's mm-hmm. spinning in circles, trying to fight them off. Like I've never killed an animal in the wild that suffered like that one, you know? And, um, it really is amazing. The, the, I killed a pig in Oklahoma this year and you know, I, I'm not a fan of these broadheads for Western hunting, but I was using the Muzzy Trocar HBs. I like them on whitetail. I like them on pigs. I actually was, I was watching this coyote. It was a badass. And I was in a, a split tree, like a fork tree. I was in the tree stand waiting on deer. And this, uh, this coyote came to my right. I could see him through over my right shoulder through the split in the tree. And I was watching him track. And all of a sudden, you know, coyotes never stop. I mean, yeah. like, like unless they're on something, they never stop. So I'm watching him, watching him, watching him. I've got my arrow knocked. I'm, I'm sitting there waiting for him to come around this tree because I know I want to get it. It's huge. And more than that, um, he had this black spot like down the middle of his face. I'd never oh. seen anything like it in my life. So he was, he was unique. Well, it was about the time as he was coming out right and I was going to be able to – like I would have had to shot under myself. You see what I'm saying? Like I would have mm-hmm. had to shot like this. Mm-hmm. He was coming out and he stopped dead in his tracks. And he takes off the other way. And I look up and there's like 17 pigs walking my way, nose to tail. So I look down and I see there's black ones. The big boar, the biggest boar, I should say, went way away. He was like 145 yards away and around. So this was all, um, there was some younger boars and there were some sows and, and whatnot. So I'm watching and there's this tree coming at me. And there's this one that is like ginger red. And then there's one that's ginger red with spots. So I said, whichever one presents itself, that's the one that's going to get it. So 
the the group kind of broke left towards the boar and I had one come right underneath the tree stand. Like I was right down on top of it like this and I waited till he got away and at seven yards I shot I shot the rib basket. I shot through the lung, uh, you know, penetrated the lungs and cut the heart in half. Damn. This guy, the arrow went in the ground. He bucked the rear legs up and ran about 10 feet and then circled back and literally fell on top of the arrow where it went on the ground and never kicked, never twitched. Three seconds, he was gone, completely gone. It looked like a full-blown purge of blood and, and, you know, body fluid there on the ground. But I'm telling you, nothing in the wild is going to die that quickly. Nothing, unless it gets hit by a semi. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that's not really the wild. So if, if somebody wants to, to argue with me about the effectiveness of a hunter, yeah, there are mistakes out there and accidents happen. But hopefully that hunter goes home and says, I should have done better. I could have done better. I will do better. And they practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of the person who just goes in there and haphazardly just tries to unload an animal. Yeah, I... I don't think I know anyone personally that is of the, you know, yeah, I'm just going to fling one, just going to fling one mentality. You know, I know a lot of guys that'll like talk, talk crap about that. They're like, Oh yeah. And I just, but knowing them personally, like I know all every shot they take on an animal is well thought out you know, it's an ethical shot well within their range. Um, You know, you'll hear stories or, you know, you'll, you'll uh, hear from a buddy whose buddy did this, uh, you know, about somebody that, you know, shot an elk in the ass and, and then was like, well, I guess I'm not going to find that. And then goes on to another one, but I don't know. Anyway, his heart shot him, baby. Oh, that's it. I've honestly heard that is an incredibly effective shot. If you make it like, well, I don't know. And it, it is, if you can take it. I mean, um, I know a guy that did that personally and had it on film and I was kind of, Again, you know, like I said, I'm not married to any of my ideas. Like I am, I am married to the information that I have gained. You know, if you give me new information and I can see differently, you know, it's a, uh, it's cause for me to, to reflect. So this guy, he had actually gotten a mule deer that way. And the thing dropped it, it's so fast. I mean, he admitted, he said, it's a mess. It's absolutely a nightmare of a mess. But if you're looking for that animal, you know, it's, it's a deadly effective way to do it. So, you know, again, I, I don't have a problem with it. I don't know that I would be confident enough to, to let yeah. it fly, even though I feel confidence in my, in my arrow and whatnot. Um, I just don't know. I, I can never judge until I'm in that situation. You yeah. Know? You like to think like, Oh, I know exactly. Well, I no. know exactly what I'm going to do there. And then the second you're in it, a lot suddenly changes. When you got a 200 inch mule deer, you know, at 35 yards with his ass facing you, um, I, I think a lot of people would have a different set of opinions on that point. You know, that, that shot starts looking pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. And especially if you sit, if you sat there and waited on this thing to move mm-hmm. or just waited and waited and waited, or, you know, please turn, please turn, or, or God forbid you're at full draw waiting on him to turn in your five minutes. It's like, okay, I'm just letting this. And that's kind of what the situation was with this. It just was not turning. It was mm-hmm. not going to move. He'd been held forever. And it was just like, okay, he did my job. He got the deer. I mean, again, he probably went 40 yards and dropped. Mm-hmm. So it was like two bounds. <laughs> I hear it's actually super, it's a, actually a super good shot for Turkey. Oh yeah. Because Hell yeah. Turkey is, 
a weird, you, I mean, you know how turkeys are, like they get all puffed up and it's really hard to pick the right spot because the, 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 the effective spot to hit them is super, super small. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and it's really easy to shoot over or under them or completely miss. And uh, I watched the guy, I watched the guy cut through the feathers, you know, like you said, where it was puffed up. Yeah. It kind of turned a little bit and it went, you know, I, I can't say for sure, but I would imagine probably a three to four inch space between the, the extended feathers and its skin. And he hit that window of feathers and lost a really good bird. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited to go. Uh, to, I'm going turkey hunting Saturday. So, nice. you know, I'm excited to get back out in the field and uh, try some new arrowheads this year. Um, actually trying a whole new setup. My bow's the same, but I've got some friends who've, who kind of weighed their influence on me a little bit. And like I said, I'm open to try things. So I would much rather try it on a turkey. And not to say that a turkey's life is any different than a, than a deer or an elk or something but there's a lot more at stake you know when you're dealing with a 600 800 pound animal versus a you know 20 pound bird so yeah no definitely so as we're kind of winding down one thing i always like to ask and kind of kind of round things out with is you know you know you you have a little bit more experience in the past with it but generally we're both coming into this over the past, you know, four or five years, uh, mm-hmm. to really, really building into this. And, and because of that, my passion is really for people that are new to this. You know, I'm from, I'm from Southern California, you know, like I worked sure. in, worked in LA and grew up in like seal beach, long beach, my entire life. Yeah. Um, so I know, I know the exact hospital you were talking about, by the way, yeah. <laughs> um, I know <laughs> I, they, it sure ain't no Cedar Sinai. That's for sure. Um, (laughs) but you know, I don't, I didn't have a background in this and I know there's a lot of people out there and especially nowadays people that are finding avenues into hunting, very non-traditional avenues into hunting. They don't have that background. They don't have that experience or even friends to, to reach out to. So, you know, say, you know, for one reason or another, you're talking with someone and they're like, man, you know, I saw your you're doing this hunting thing, you know, maybe it's one of your, your lifting buddies or something, you know, Oh man, you're doing this Turkey hunt that weekend. That's so, that's so cool, man. But like, I don't know. I've always wanted to get into that, but there's just, there's way too much to learn and and all this stuff you got to get. And I, I don't know, man, I don't know if it's for me. I don't know if I could even, I, I could even do that. Like, what would you say to that person that kind of was like really wanted to do it, but just wasn't sure they were capable of it? Well, I think the the best part, and I wish that, that more vegans would entertain this offer, is let's just go scout. Like, I won't take a bow. I won't take, I'll, I mean, I'll take a pistol for, for obvious reasons. I always carry a pistol in the woods. I've had two encounters, actually, with other individuals. Um, one trying to t- steal my pack until I just pulled my shirt up, and I was like, are you sure you want it? And then another guy was uh, trying to steal some meat. So, uh, you know, I, I've had those encounters, so I always have a pistol, but I would go into the woods with the intention of what do you want to learn? We can show, I can show you trails. We can find animals. We can observe them. I would try to present hunting to them in and up until the point where we would pull the trigger. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, we've got this deer. We see it. We're going to wait it out at this point and then explain to them what it would be like. Now, granted, I can't do that for every single person that asks, but if somebody is intent on, I want to learn this, I want to do this. I go hiking every day. I can very, very easily hike near deer trails or, you know, animal trails and show people what it's like, show them the experience of it. But more than anything, I tend to just show my 
my Instagram feed and show them the food that I have and show them pictures of my freezer, you know, through this time when people are worried and going crazy for, for meat and things, uh, which it is a reality. But for me, it's like, no, nature provided this to me. I took, I took the option to exercise my legal rights to hunt. And in the end of it, I get some of the greatest tasting food you can imagine. I get self-confidence. I learn a skill. I learn more about myself, myself, uh, through the shooting repetition, uh, learn how to think critically, learn how to test myself in different situations, whether it be cold, extreme heat, wet, you know, thirsty, whatever it is, you know, we went 64 miles in eight days out in Arizona, you know, it, got thirsty, you know, and it, it got cold <laughs> out there in December. I'm sorry, out there in January, I was there January 1st through the 9th and it was absolutely freezing every day. Yep. So there's a lot that goes into it, but, but I will say that for every person that's out there and, and again, nothing wrong with this and head to toe, sit good gear, brand new bow every year or brand new rifle every year, all that kind of stuff. That's one type of hunter. There's another type of hunter that I know. I know two guys very well that are going to go hunting for turkeys. Guarantee you one of them is going to be wearing a green flannel shirt with khaki pants and, a, and just an old rifle he's had since like he was 20 and he's 55 now. You know what I mean? So there, there's all spectrum of hunter out there. And the, the entry point is so low. If you really just want to get into hunting, find someone that's doing it, go to a pawn shop, buy a $300 308 that's on the wall learn how to shoot it, go to the woods and you can be hunting. Like you can literally be hunting in a matter of a day. You know, you don't need any special clothing. You just need skills. And that's where I feel obligated because people have taught me to teach, to show, to take, like, don't say anything. Don't try to convince anybody. Just show them a way of your life. Like I live my life respectfully. I'm kind. Um, I speak about the hunting, but I don't try to ram it down people's throat. But anybody that wants to entertain that conversation, I'll go to the ends of the earth to help a man or a woman or a child feel the things that I have felt as far as accomplishment and confidence in being able to provide for myself. I think, you know, that's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I always try and remind people, you know, I, you can, and, and again, coming back to it, it's nice having the toys. Sure. It is fun to have the toys. It's nice being able to afford first light and Sitka or, you know, Kuyu, all <laughs> right. of this. It's awesome because you know what, you're going to be a lot more comfortable sure. <laughs> when it's, when it's dumping snow or pissing rain, mm -hmm. but you don't have to have that. And no. especially if you're not going to be put into those situations, if you are starting small and you're going out, you know, chasing coyotes, chasing Turkey, doing some upland game, there's a lot of really low impact ways you can hunt and it is, you know, shoot, you know, you can buy that $300 208. You can go or 308 to it. You can buy that $300 308 or you could probably get a, a shotgun, a used shotgun oh, off yeah. the rack and go upland game hunting. You can get that for like 175 bucks, you know, like I was going to say, I just, there was a, I can't remember the name. It might've been, um, shit i can't remember the name of it sorry but it was it was a shotgun they had i got some ammo when all this was kind of starting to pick up steam i grabbed some ammo and i, I noticed they had one that was 179 bucks ready to go and it, it even came with a forward grip on it and uh if i'm not mistaken it came with a you know extra shells on the side on the, on the stock of it so 
you know, 179 bucks, pretty much ready to walk straight into straight into the woods. Mm-hmm. And just to just to push clarify, your, well, push your hunting tag. Uh, yeah, just to clarify, make sure you are doing this legally and ethically, and oh, yeah, getting yeah, yeah. your license and tag. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. Not, well, that's we're not, I said. We're not saying go to the store, buy a rifle, and just straight walk into the woods and shoot an animal. <laughs> but do not do not mistake <laughs> no, us for saying that. <laughs> no, and you know. I used to kind of scoff. I mean, just the kind of person I was like throw the directions out and figure it out. Um, but I really did try to read some of the rules and regulations in the fish and wildlife, you know, just to better understand not only for myself, but I took my son hunting and what an embarrassing thing for me to be proud and like showing him this way and then to do something stupid or something small, but that was considered illegal or I got fined or, you know, had a negative mm-hmm. encounter with a game warden, something like that. I absolutely did not want to to have him there to witness something like that. So, you know, I made it a learning point for him too. And it was like, Hey, we've got to look at this book. We've got to look at some things where we're going. You got to wear your orange. You got to do, you know, Mm. just simple, simple things like that. Um, And I've always found that when I teach others, I learn. So by going over this and using him as the tool to teach, I was actually learning a lot of these rules and laws and, and just things that, you know, don't detach both testicles from some animals, you know, leave one on the, on the, on the, on the animal for, for confirmation, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of people wouldn't know that from the jump, but you know, they're, they're each state has a unique set of laws, a a unique set of bylaws and regulations to follow. And I mean, Kentucky's kind of the wild West. We we don't have very (laughs) many regulations here, but you get out into some of the States like Utah, Colorado, Montana, Oh yeah. 50 feet, the wrong direction. You could be on somebody's property, killing an animal that you have to forfeit, you know? And that's, that's just a situation that nobody wants to find themselves in. Yeah. So folks wanted to uh, check out all the adventures, follow along, find all you have to offer. Where can they uh, hunt you down online? So I've got two Instagram pages. One is kind of like my life. Um, they, They blend obviously because they're both, one is run by me in part. The other is fully me. Um, but peace, love, and meat. Peace, love, and meat is kind of my entire mantra for living. I, I try to live peacefully. I try to love everyone that I can. And I try to be this, this representative of what it means to be a hunter, to be a, a capable human, and then also just a man of worth. And that all ties in that to me because, listen, I've been a violent person. I've been in, in you know, I've been a debt collector for some MCs at times in my life. You know, I've done some shady shit. I've done some, some hard stuff and there was no happiness in that. There was no, there was no goal line that looked rewarding in that lifestyle. So for me, I have to be very peaceful. I have to be focused on don't be the taker, be the giver, give way more than you take, leave, leave a small footprint on this earth. If you can be a big impact person for people that you have face-to-face contact with or contact like this. And then love everybody that you can, because I can tell you, it's very easy to hate people, but it's very difficult and challenging to love everyone and to love from a standpoint of like, maybe they're this way because they don't know any better. And maybe I need to let them be rather than trying to impart. But when they're ready, when the time is right, I will open my arms and I'll help them in any way that I can. So, you know, it's just this, um, it's just this ongoing existence to to better myself and not in a way that puts me above anyone else. It actually lowers me down to where I don't need as much. I don't expect as much and I give everything I can. That's awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you uh, scrambling to find a, find a spot where we could sit down and talk and taking the time. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun. I, 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 
hate having to wind wind down these really good conversations because I feel like we could probably sit and just sure. shoot the shit for another hour without yeah. any issue. But uh, no, I am not Joe Rogan, and nobody is going <laughs> to sit down and listen to a you know four plus hour podcast. So. Exactly. Well, if you ever want me back, or if you want to open up questions, I'm an open book. You know, I try to I try to help people as much as I can, and I think if um, you know, if anybody has any questions, I do encourage you to reach out to me on Instagram. I try, I do my very best to answer all my messages, even the ones that are in like the other top requests, all requests, <laughs> you know, like those yeah. hidden folders. Um, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I do try. And especially if, um, if you're really struggling with something that's been, you know, as I said, I had my own depression and, and battles with that. So I know how it can feel. If I don't get your message on in the inbox, just leave me a comment that says, Hey, I sent you a DM and I will click your name and I'll go straight to the message. I, I try to access that stuff. Um, and I just ask that you don't abuse that. You know, if, if you're, if you want to know about hunting, if you want to know about me, fine, feel free, but you know, understand that there are other people that are asking questions too. I encourage you to reach out no matter what, but just understand it can't be a full blown conversation. It's going to be, you know, as brief of an answer as I can. I send a lot of links to people. If I more detailed answers Mm -hmm. through an article or through a YouTube video. I will gladly send that and say, this helped me or this showed me a better way. That's, that's, that's my life's goal is to help people. So I appreciate the the space to to share my words and ramble on for an hour and a half. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, so this is great, man. Thank you. Appreciate you taking the time. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure you check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Looking forward to next week. That'll do it for this week. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. go out there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave oh that's awesome experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment for in the morning join me chef jean-paul bourgeois and the whole crew here at duck camp dinners every monday at 8 p.m eastern on waypoint tv birds up in the sky